Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Yahoo Sports College Podcast Bowl Picks Edition I'm Pat Forty, joined again by Pete Thamel, and we gave you the Stone Cold Lead Pipe lock picks for the first 15 bowl games in an earlier edition, and uh, you're welcome for that, because I'm sure you went out and were able to buy BMWs for everybody for Christmas, just like the commercials. <laughs> Where do you get those bows? Where do you think they buy the bows they put on those cars? Like, yeah. do you get do you go to Walmart and you're like, hey, I need one of those car bows for my Lexus? <laughs> yeah, I need a giant bow. Yes, the bows don't exist, and the people who buy each other Lexuses for Christmas don't exist either. I'm yes. convinced, or at least yes. they're a very small percentage. I don't want probably... to meet. I don't want to meet them if they do. No. They don't listen to this show, I'm sure of that. They have gender reveal parties, to use an inside <laughs> joke from our last thing. Uh, That's right. We, we can update, by the way, uh, James Villano, the special teams coach at FIU, loyal podcast listener, checked in today, and he did say his wife, was very, his wife Heather, was very much against uh, co-ed baby showers. So they, oh, the Villanos wanted to be clear, they are on board. No okay. co-ed baby showers. So, tell, yes, that, I, I know that was very... Villano's- Yes. Yeah. We appreciate their point of view and their listening and their lack of a, uh, a adherence to co-ed baby showers. <laughs> Do not need that action. So, okay. Well, we're going to get back to picking games here because that's what we do. Pete and I on the old race for the case and now the bowl editions of the race for the case podcast. We should we talk about picks. signing day first, Pat? Oh, we sure should. You know what? Thank you, Pete. Thank You're you welcome. Very much. I'm just trying, you know, trying to stay in the holiday spirit, Pat. I mean, Give, yes, yes. give some guidance sometimes, you know, sometimes you zag and we should zig and, you know, <laughs> vice versa happens. So, yeah, no, Pete wearing his uh, Santa hat for the taping of this just to, to keep us all in the festive spirit. I struggle with festive, so this is good. Appreciate the help. Um, so, no, we, we did want to touch on signing day. We're taping this on Wednesday, National Signing Day, part one. Uh, I agree with Dan's take that this is not as exciting and as fun as when everything happened at once in February, but the calendar is the calendar and this is the way they're doing it. Most of the kids are signing, uh, on this early signing period, Pete, I've been embedded with Louisville and new coach Scott Satterfield pretty much all day. So you've been paying more attention to the national scene. Catch me up on the, the biggest takeaways from signing day. 
Well, as you know, I'm a noted uh, national recruiting expert in my uh, in my spare time. So <laughs> um, I, I would generally think right now, if, if we had to hit pause and remember signing day 2018 slash 19, the December portion, I would I would say it's remembered generally being like a little bit slow. Um, and I think, again, it's like things we expect, right? Bama's just getting every kid. They flipped a big one from Ohio State. They got a couple. They got a running back. And another kid, like all the announcements, everything's trending Bama. What a surprise, right? Like the rich are getting richer. So I think like you can't ignore the Bama dominance theme of signing day. They're going to keep winning. There's no mm-hmm. slowing that down. Um, now, look, anyone who listens to this podcast knows we have an appreciation for the ridiculous. So obviously I've been on the hunt all morning to like <laughs> find that. And instead of the audacious, we actually found a genuine feel good, heartfelt, selfless signing day moment that, that, that should be recognized. Cooper Dawson, a uh, three-star prospect from South Carolina chose Syracuse on signing day and uh he seems like he's a you know a, a solid three-star recruit but how he did it I thought was by far and away the most memorable thing of this signing day and I hope it reverses the trend of airplane jumps and the trend of live animals and all the sort of patent ridiculousness that has come with signing day which secretly of course we enjoy but uh <laughs> Cooper Dawson went on stage uh, at his high school in South Carolina and brought up his friend Kingsley Feynman. Uh, Kingsley was born with cerebral palsy and is paraplegic. And basically, Cooper brought him up to kind of just give some give some perspective and allowed him to announce it. And, and he basically uh, there was a there was a very good quote here. He said, "The only disability is a bad attitude, and that's what Dawson learned from Kingsley." And uh, like I just it. thought it Very was like nice. a great message. It, it, I mean, this should be if this isn't on Good Morning America later this week, some producer is not doing their job. The producer is probably a Syracuse grad, so I'll scold them. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I just thought it was like the perfect heartwarming, genuine from the right place moment that is the complete antithesis of the Me Too signing day ethos. So Cooper Dawson, you have, you, you earned a lot of fans uh, from Syracuse and beyond uh, with that with that signing day announcement. And if we had to pick one more signing day uh, storyline, I would think uh, I would think it would be Ryan Day's first signing day at Ohio State, which is gone a little rocky at some parts. They lost the defensive back from St. Thomas Aquinas to Bama. Their quarterback commit flipped to Georgia. That's likely because their quarterback could end up transferring to Ohio State because Justin Fields, obviously, we'll get into that in a little bit, Pat, uh, left. Uh, Ryan Day did get a five-star defensive line commitment from uh, fr- uh, Zach Harrison, who's from Columbus. So to fend off Penn State and Michigan on a Columbus kid who's one of the biggest recruits to come out of that city in years was a good win for them on signing day. And I think Ohio State's only going to end up around, again, you say only, they were like top three for seven straight years. They're only going to end up in the fringes of the top 10, but Day pointed out at his press conference, they're top five in terms of average star. They have a smaller class. It's only like 15, yeah. 16. So that would well, be, that's, you know, yeah. when there's when there's a transition in coach, you're, you're going to have a little bit of uncertainty and probably a couple decommits along the way so it sounds like they probably actually minimize that if they're still going to have a top 10 class yes yes so and other than Wetzel wrote a great column uh piggybacking on what we talked about on the last pod about the Pac-12 sort of mire of irrelevance continuing through signing day and uh 
Pat, I guess we'll transition back to you. Uh, Scott Satterfield emerged in this coaching cycle, obviously, as the coach at Louisville, but one of the more intriguing guys. Uh, he was on the top of a lot of coaches' lists. What st- I don't believe you'd ever met him until today. What stood out to you about Scott Satterfield, and what kind of feel did you leave there for what trajectory he'll have the Louisville program going? The good news for Scott is it can't get any worse. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's – it's a good time to come in after the last guy because the bar is set very low. It it was a real quiet day there. They signed four guys. That's it. So wow, four. You know, yeah, they had two weeks basically to work from when he was introduced to signing day, uh, and they're just you know there was not much time to to really change stream. Uh, there was a couple of guys that they uh, actually rescinded offers from that they didn't think were going to fit their schemes at all. So it was a very small class. They got a quarterback who had originally committed to app state. Uh, they like a lot. And then an offensive lineman, a linebacker and a running back. And that's it. He said, they'll probably only sign 10 people in February. Cause they only have like 14 scholarships to okay. give. So, so it was going to be a small class no matter what, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, ton of work to do. Not today. Today it was very quiet at the facility, but uh, they have a lot to do. Program culture. Well, you heard that a lot because that was a team, Louisville team, that quite frankly, pretty obviously quit on the field uh, at the end, middle of maybe of last season. And, you know, you take over a team that has quit, you want to make sure they're never going to quit again. So that's going to be the starting place, I think, uh, in January when they get everybody back from Christmas break. And then it's going to be installing systems, that sort of thing. Satterfields, he's a very salt of the earth guy. He's much more uh, approachable and personable than Bobby Petrino. Uh, but there's also, you know, so, sorry, so that's are, a pretty low yeah, bar. <laughs> I know. So is your average moose, right? But uh, you know, <laughs> he, uh, he, there's an underlying confidence there to him too, though. That, I'm just you know, picturing is, Bobby Petrino next to Bullwinkle right now. <laughs> Bullwinkle, much more personable, yes, than Bobby Petrino. Um, so's Rocky and Boris and Natasha. Um, but he, there's a very, there's definitely a confidence to Satterfield and a belief that, you know, they, they will get it going. He's won a lot. And when you're used to winning, you're, you're pretty confident in your approach. So, uh, we'll see the transition. It's obviously a much bigger place. We talked quite a bit about the going from Boone, North Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, pretty big step up just in terms of demographics and size of city, but uh, you know, we'll see. It's obviously going to be take it as it comes, but uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think he's off to a solid start just because he's not Bobby Petrino, and that that's going to play well in this uh, in this city. So, all right, one let more me ask you one here. more question. Just uh, yeah. you know, our listeners obviously are hardcore college football fans. They've never likely spent a day with a college football coach. Just Satterfield as a person. Obviously, Bobby Petrino was just an incorrigible, awful human. He cheated on his wife, hired his mistress, lied to his bosses about it at Arkansas. He got another chance because college sports is a soulless place. Came back to Louisville, won for a minute with Lamar, and then just dredged the program, sledgehammered it back into the ground, and and left with $14 million in his pocket. It really is sort of like this perfect narrative of all the awful things of college sports. So Scott Satterfield is this pretty humble guy from App State who, who has to who has to sort of come in and, and, and replace him. But just what are – just as you sat with him and just chatted like, you know, two, two dads talking about their kids and all that stuff, what were just a couple of your Satterfield personal takeaways? Yeah, um, you know, one is, is, I mean, I think he's a little bit lonely. Uh, he's anxious to go back to Boone for Christmas because his family isn't here. 
And so he's sitting here, you know, and is the office is empty. You know, there, there's there's most of a staff assembled, but like his own office. There's like a tin of Christmas stuff and a fruit basket, and that's <laughs> it. Some notebooks, you know. And there's no trappings of a place that you spend time in comfortably or that you work in. So he's just kind of, you know, he's he's kind of in limbo. Uh, he's been staying at the Hilton Garden Inn just down the street from the football facility, and he's been on, on spare chances. He's been driving around town with another staffer, you know, like looking, hey, where are we going to live? Yeah. So that's what these guys are trying to figure out: where are they going to live, where are their kids going to go to school, you know. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of you know he he's itching to get going on the coaching. But for now, you're just kind of sitting there saying, gosh, my whole life is on hold waiting for us to, to get settled. And it's going to be a while because the sprint to, you know, to sign the rest of those players and to finish assembling staff and get to know this team will take precedence. But, you know, you, you're sitting in there on a, on a quiet winter day in the Louisville offices and it's like, hmm, this poor guy, we would like yeah. to go, go home and see his family. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's good. So. That's, yeah, uh, so it was you know it was fun talking to him. Good yeah. guy, enjoyed it. Uh, one other bit of news that maybe has overshadowed signing day to a degree, and you wrote some about this. Uh, Justin Fields, the number one quarterback in last year's class, uh, perhaps unwisely cast his lot with Georgia, given Jake Fromm's presence. Well, it came out this week he's transferring. And uh, you've been following that, obviously. What do you think of uh, Fields' transfer? Where's he? Where could he end up? And and can he play next year? Yeah. So this is pretty funny. I was talking to a coach. Uh, I guess it would have been late Monday night when this broke about Fields, and the coach was like, "You know, he's going to apply for a waiver." And I was like, "He's not going to get a waiver." <laughs> like it was like my Mac Brown not going to North Carolina. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> So then I get up Tuesday and I make a couple calls. And by Tuesday afternoon, I was like, oh, he's definitely getting a waiver. <laughs> like, there's no doubt about it. Like, I, I did like the complete flip. I was like, any coach who thinks he's got a waiver is stupid. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it would be ridiculous if he didn't get a waiver. Um, just considering they're, they're handing him out like candy canes anyway now, the NCAA, with really no rhyme or reason. So one of the reasons why I'm confident he's going to get a waiver is he has retained Tom Mars, Bulldog attorney to the uh, to the aggrieved in college sports. And, uh, Pat, why don't you walk our listeners? You, you know Tom Mars and have obviously uh, interviewed him for a handful of stories over the years and, and wrote a really good column about him before Ohio State-Michigan on his uh, – uh, work getting Shea Patterson eligible for the Wolverines, which in a lot of ways saved their season um, until the end. Um, but just yeah, give it, give our listeners a sense of Tom Mars's place in the stratosphere right now, and really a surge in the last year and a half, and, and I think one of the most important guys in the whole landscape of college sports. Man, he is the transfer attorney to the stars right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, Justin Fields' family has retained him. Obviously, he said Shea, Shea Patterson and five other, or maybe it's four other Mississippi transfers retained him last year to help them get immediate eligibility. And his phone is ringing off the hook. People that want to transfer, hey, can can you help me? Can you help me become eligible? And success breeds success. Referrals breed referrals. And he's going to be really, really busy and really influential probably for many years to come in the college football transfer space uh, because he knows how to push the buttons to get a guy eligible. Uh, he's a relentless, absolute 
bulldog researcher, uh, and he will find means and ways. And so, yeah, I think Justin Fields has got a great chance, as you said, to be playing next year. Goes back to the, um, you know, the racial slurs, I guess, that were directed towards Fields from a baseball player at Georgia uh, last season. And that can be a, a form of egregious conduct which could be reason for an immediate transfer eligibility. If you, if you look at the rules for what, what that uh, waiver can be, uh, I, I would not be surprised to see Tom Mars pursue that. And then we'll find out where Justin Fields is going to be. Would you like to hazard a guess, Pete? I would. I'm going to add one piece of context before I do that, though. And a lot of people don't remember this. Uh, I prof- well, I profiled Justin Fields right when I got to Yahoo, so summer of 17. And the, the, the tension of that story was, does he pick professional baseball or stick with football? Because he had the athletic ability to be a first-round pick in baseball. I don't think he would have been a first-round pick. But, like, he was an intriguing guy. I remember talking to some baseball scouts about him. Uh, Jeff Passan did a little bit of uh, bird-dogging for me on on that. And so Justin Fields had not said publicly, I'm going to play baseball at Georgia. But that had always loomed as an option. So not only did this clearly awful thing happen with the racial slur that caused the Georgia to throw their uh, first baseman, I think Adam Sasser, off the team. Um, but – the argument can be made, Pat, that Justin Fields has a professional outlet to play baseball and would want to play at the college level at some point, and obviously he could play at a very high level, and he would not feel comfortable playing baseball at Georgia. Now, obviously the kid is not on the team. He was dismissed because of the uh, because of the racial slur, and he apologized for it on Twitter, but um, you could understand Fields not being comfortable going to play baseball at Georgia because of that, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like so. a, just another another layer that I certainly missed, and I, I missed this thing like by a million miles when it first came out. But that that was something that was explained to me, not by Tom Mars, but just by others around Fields yesterday. So if I had to hazard a guess right now, I would say it's between Ohio State and Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. I talked to somebody close to Fields the other night, reported that, and uh, I saw some other schools bandied about, but. Uh, let's put it this way. Justin Fields obviously has some savvy people around him. I don't think they're sending him to Florida State right now with, uh, you know, with a crate paper offensive line and just all momentum just completely deflated from that program. And I saw ESPN had Florida and Auburn. I don't think Georgia's going to let that happen. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think Georgia's going to let Justin Fields go to an SEC rival. Now, there's obviously extenuating circumstances and Tom Mars could do it, but I feel like Fields' people saw what Ryan Day did with Dwayne Haskins this year, you know, first-time starter going right sure. to right to a likely first-round pick. Obviously, what Lincoln Riley has done with the last two quarterbacks has been like back-to-back Heismans, yeah. wizardry, wizardry. So uh, I'd be surprised if Justin Fields doesn't end up at one of those two, and I would be surprised if Justin Fields is not the opening day starter at one of those two in 2019 makes sense that will be one to watch uh no doubt that might be be one of the biggest offseason stories going so we will keep our eye on that but let's get back to our stated purpose here peter and let's pick some bowl games we are picking against the spread and we're going to try to speed pick again so that we can get through this without killing our listeners uh and keeping them you know online here for over an hour waiting with breathless anticipation to find out our picks in the, you know, gallaryfurniture.com bowl. If we even still have that thing, I, I, I pick sure East do. Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
All right, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to break it down, Pete, and then I'm going to take 30, and then we're moving on. First bowl game, the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl in Dallas the day after Christmas, December 26, 1.30 p.m., Boston College, Boise State. Boise State favored by three points. Pete, go. I'm going to take Boise State in this bowl game because I just think they're better. I think they're well positioned. I think that line is too low. I really, I think in our confidence pool, I even took Boise State as a, as a pretty high pick. One nugget here to sneak under the deadline buzzer. Scott Leffler, the offensive coordinator from Boston College, who left for Bowling Green and is now the head coach there, will call this game for the Eagles, but he texted me the other night he will do so with limited prep. Yeah, there you go. So, all right. Well, I'm I'm with you on the Boise train there. I think this is a Boise win, and perhaps you always take Boise, Boise Pat. I don't. I've been actually the the Boise fans are mad at me because they oh, say no. I've abandoned them after being the <laughs> lead Boise advocate back in the glory days. Are they so, throwing you off the bus? Uh, they they say the bus is dead. So <laughs> we've broken up, but I'm back on with this one, baby. <laughs> Brett Rippon, just don't throw it to the wrong team. Uh, he's a very good quarterback for the Broncos. BC has 18 interceptions, tied for the most in the, in the nation. Don't throw it to them, and they're not going to score. Boise's going to cover. Boise's going to win. All right. The Quick Lane Bowl, later on December 26th in Detroit. And here's where I feel sorry, like, for the sports writers and stuff. Do you have to fly in on Christmas into Detroit to cover the game the next day? I would take the last plane impossible and be there the shortest amount of time possible minnesota against georgia tech uh georgia tech is favored by four pete go ahead as we mentioned on a previous podcast both of us have covered a quick lane bowl or previous sponsor iterations of it yeah and i remember uconn playing in the one that i covered i don't even remember who they played and it was pure (laughs) misery uh Speaking of pure misery, this does not project to be a great game. Uh, You know, Georgia Tech's going to have the win-one for Paul Johnson theme. P.J. Fleck kind of made a nice little push there. You know, they're sitting there at four and six at the end of the year. I am going to take the Gophers on that momentum and with the month to prepare for the option. Fleck staff is prepared for a handful of option teams the past couple of years, both at Minnesota and at Western Michigan. The Gopher D has been reignited since they fired Rob Smith. Okay, I'm going the other way with you on the, from you on that. I'm taking Georgia Tech, and I think they win handily. Uh, maybe the month to prepare for the option will help, but here's the deal. When they played Nebraska and Illinois, which have running quarterbacks, they gave up more than 800 yards rushing in those two games. Georgia Tech has a rushing quarterback and a rushing running back and another rushing running back, and that's what they do. And as you said, it is Paul Johnson's last game. He's taking his option offense and riding off into the sunset and they're going to win and cover. They're going to put up 40 points on uh, on the Gophers there. All right, the, uh, the nightcap on December 26th, last of three games on the day. The Cheez-It Bowl, love the name. I want to know if the talking wheel of cheese will be there itself from the commercials. California against TCU, a pair of Power 5 teams, neither of them very good. Uh, but they're meeting here. California's favored by one. Pete, go ahead. I saw this game as a pick earlier, and my joke was going to be, you should pick to not watch this game, because this is probably, <laughs> if, you had to, if you had to rank like the least aesthetically appealing bowl games, I would, uh, I would take this one. TCU has just had a rancid season. I think their highlight was probably like 
playing Ohio State close for two and a half quarters. Um, I can't think of anything better that's happened to TCU this year. Um, Cal has kind of been a steady Eddie under Justin Wilcox, and I feel like he'll, he'll have them ready for uh, all the Cheez-Its they can handle. So I'm going to go with the, with the Golden Bears. Okay. I'm taking the other side here on this one as well. I'm taking TCU. Uh, boy, you're right. Bad season for TCU. Disappointing. But they won their last two at the end to gain bowl eligibility. So a little optimism, a little energy. Cool. Pretty cool story. Fifth-year senior Grayson Mulestein uh, became the starter late in the season. He had never really played for four years and finally gets his chance. Sean Robinson had flamed out, and I think they had another quarterback who got hurt. Mulestein gets a chance and leads them to two victories. So I'm going to ride the Grayson Mulestein or Stein uh, bandwagon over the offensive-challenged Golden Bears. All right, uh, December 27th. The old standby B-list bowl. Hardy refuses to die. The walk-ons independence bowl in Shreveport. Used to be the Poulan Weed Eater Bowl. It's been called 19 different things. It still exists. And this year it is Temple against Duke. Temple's favored by three. What do you think about that one, Pete? Well, the last time I was in Shreveport, I went to go do a story on Dak Prescott after his rookie year with the Cowboys. And there was a party at a Shreveport casino that anyone who goes to our live show, I will tell you great stories about because it was it was a day <laughs> in my life that I will never forget. Uh, have to go at Temple here. Duke just laid a dinosaur egg in their last game against Wake Forest. They think they lost 59 to seven. I mean, it was just like one of those anomalous results of the season and Lindsay, could you please find the audio of Ed Foley, the Temple coach, Lindsay's our podcast producer, and insert it in here? Because if you listen to the passion Ed Foley has for the Independence Bowl, there is no way Temple loses this game. Our football team is going to come down here ready to play. We're going to practice really hard. We're going to play really hard. I hope that we play well, but I know that we'll play hard. And we're going to find out about Duke, and we're going to find out about Temple, and we're going to find out about which one of those football clubs wants to hit each other harder and longer. That's what we're going to decide here yeah. on the 27th. Yeah. Ed's their interim coach. God bless him. And I'm going to go over my 30-second timeline to add that Wetzel just tweeted that he has a signing day sleeper, Daquan Finn, a two-star quarterback out of Detroit King going to Toledo. Why in God's name is Wetzel tweeting obscure Mac commitments and his opinion on them? Like this is the most this is the most r- ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Uh, does the kid like date his daughter? What's the? Deal? I, I don't know. I have no, I have no Wetzel idea. Wetzel doesn't Maybe. follow recruiting no. at all. No, he barely follows college football. Someone must have told him this. Well, we're gonna when 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 he's back on the full pod uh, after the holidays, uh. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to ask him the story. Plus. I I'm the Toledo guy here. All right. Nobody's promoting <laughs> Toledo. It's not me. Okay. We'll make that very clear. Wetzel drawn a line Toledo in the sand. Toledo recruiting turf battle. Yes. Calendar, <laughs> taking over the podcast. <laughs> B- Big 10 should have offered Daquan Finn. That's what Wetzel thinks. So thank oh you for that goodness. searing recruiting insight. Watch your back. Mike Farrell. Wetzel's on the case. <laughs> that is hilarious. Wetzel recruit. Wetzel. <laughs> Swooping in with the two-star scoop. Oh, my God. The hot Mac recruiting takes. That's what people are listening to our podcast for. Wow. We'd hot. much rather hear him rip gender reveals. But, you know, yes. hey, what are you, you go, Danny. You go. Okay. Um, yeah, no, look, I'm going Temple just simply because the interim coach is uh, 
uh, monologue. It's unbelievable. It's hilarious. Uh, you have never heard any coach so excited to be going to Shreveport for the Independence Bowl in your life. This is this guy. He's a classic interim coach. He's got, finally got a chance. Somebody's going to listen to him. Somebody gave him a microphone, put him behind a podium. He's been waiting for this his whole life, probably, to spout off. And boy, did he. It was yeah. fantastic. Uh, Th- this is his third time as Temple's interim coach, by the way. Is Ed it really? Foley. Yeah. Ed Foley is wow. a great guy. All times. Yeah. I profiled Dave Clawson once and I got him on the phone and he made fun of Dave Clawson for like a half an hour straight to the really? point where like I had, this is a Davis at Bowling Green. I had like tears streaming down my face. Like <laughs> he's making fun of him for like trying to pick up girls from New Jersey with big hair and wearing penny loafers <laughs> everywhere. It's Ed, Ed Foley. If you're not rooting for Ed Foley, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I'm rooting for Ed Foley. So, okay, later the day in the uh, in the on the 27th, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl in Yankee Stadium, Miami against Wisconsin in basically what is the flop bowl of 2018. Two badly disappointing teams. Both started the year in the top 10. Neither of them anywhere near the top 25. Now, Miami is favored by four, which at the time. Seemed a bit odd and now seems odder because uh, I think they've had some upheaval during the uh, the interregnum since the regular season ended. But, Pete, what's your thoughts on the pinstripe bowl? You know, this game is also, like, slightly gross. You know, like, if, if, oh, if, there, yeah. was, if there was ever one to avoid, it would, be, it would be this one. This is also the 26th consecutive year Miami and Wisconsin have played in bowl games, or at least it, it feels that way. I can't <laughs> get the stench of Miami's performance against Wisconsin in the bowl game from last year out of my mind, and I think it overpowers the stench of Wisconsin's actual season and Miami's actual season. But no Manny Diaz coordinating the defense. Uh, Efron Banda, who really hasn't called the defense, is going to be calling it for Miami I really feel like the Badgers can sort of do what they should have done and just sort of pound the rock and win fairly easily um it's a little early to get a forecast for that day but I'm imagining it's not going to be like 55 and balmy like it was the uh the day I was at Yankee Stadium for uh for Notre Dame and Syracuse yeah well I I picked Miami in the dash I'll stick with them I don't like it now uh but just, I mean, you hated Miami I, all year. Like you, you oh, hated I, them in August. I know, but here's what happened in the last week of the regular season: they pumped, they punked Pittsburgh, and Wisconsin got routed by Minnesota. So my last impressions for both of them were dramatically different. So Miami, I mean, you want me to like Wisconsin? I don't like Wisconsin. That uh, Wisconsin's <laughs> been horrible. So one of us might have picked Wisconsin to go to the college football playoff, and is a little bit bitter about it. So you're saying is your bitterness for Wisconsin overtakes your bitterness for Miami? I don't have any bitterness for Miami. I've always I thought Miami was bad from the beginning. I I really literally I said they were overrated in August. They they just they are who I thought they were. Denny Green. Uh, Last game of the night on December 27th, the Academy Sports and Outdoors Bowl which is in Houston. I don't remember what they used to be, I guess, be called the Houston Bowl or the Texas Bowl, maybe. All I know, I think I'm pretty sure that was the game where Glenn Mason got himself fired by blowing like a 35-7 to half to second half lead against to Mike, Mike Leach in Texas yeah. Tech. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only guy that I've ever seen get fired after losing like a, a second-tier bowl game. But uh, the Texas Bowl meant a lot, apparently, to Minnesota. Yeah, anyway, they, they had such stunning success from that point on, too, at Minnesota. Oh, I know. Yeah, Over, right. Overwhelming. Good, good move, yeah. Um, all right, so that the game this year, it's Baylor against Vanderbilt. 
Vandy is favored by three and a half. Uh, the small private schools in the conferences teaming with giant state universities. Who do you like here, Pete? Boy, this one's pretty gross, too. Um, yeah. You know, you, you and I will probably watch every snap of it, uh, but it's still not not great. Uh, I I would bet the under whatever it is. <laughs> that would be my, that's my first instinct on this game. But I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Baylor. Uh, with very little conviction. Like, I would put this last in my confidence pool. Uh, obviously, people have put their confidence pools in already. But I feel like Baylor showed some little sparks towards the end of the season of uh, of, of life and hope. And uh, I just really haven't liked Vanderbilt. It just they're they're just hard to watch. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the least the lesser of the aesthetic appeals there, and uh, okay. I'm gonna take Baylor. With I'm so little find- conviction. Yeah, I'm going to find Vandy pretty easy to watch because they're going to win. So I'm taking the Commodores. Kyle Shermer, he's had a good season, had a good career at Vandy. Finished his last uh, three, last four games, 11 touchdowns, one interception. They won three of their last four. They're a plus eight turnover margin. Baylor's a minus nine. So give me the intangibles of that there and give me Kyle Shermer picking apart the Bears and give me the doors to win the game. Uh, the next day, December 28th, Nashville, Tennessee, Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. I think this is the first of four Big Ten SEC games, Purdue against Auburn. Uh, one of them is really happy they kept their coach. The other is really unhappy they kept their coach. Auburn, the team that's unhappy they kept their coach, favored by three and a half. Pete, go ahead. Well, this game will be fun to watch because like, there's that three percent chance that exists that if Auburn just lays a gigantic Tyrannosaurus Rex egg especially on offense that they'll just run Bobby Petrino right out eat that 16 million immediate part of the buyout and I think what's the whole buyout 32 million something like that in that in that neighborhood million I love like the last month again. We've picked on Auburn quite a bit on this podcast, but they just live up to their low standards so often. It's hard not to pick on them, and I just feel like what an abject disaster that's been. Where they basically spent a month advertising to the world that they desperately want to fire their coach and can't afford to. So I'm going to take Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I can't fault your reasoning there, uh, but here's what I think is Malzahn is going back to calling plays starting with this bowl game. And I think he's a good play caller. If he gets back to his old creative self, the play, the, the Gus was the play caller earlier at Auburn. And when he was a coordinator at other places, was that uh, when your hair still had color? <laughs> mm, might have been that, that, that it's been a while let me tell that's you. my point it is, like gus's creativity like the world's passed gus by the offensive uh, world i don't i well see i disagree with that i don't think the, the the world passed him by i mean they they won the sec west all of a year ago in 2017 you know that that's not that hard or that easy to do in my opinion so uh that this team is nowhere near as good as that team but <laughs> If you can run the football, Purdue's run defense is not very good. Uh, I think they're going to be able to, if you can control the ball, if you can run misdirection at them, you can find enough in the pass game from Jared Stidham. Purdue, look, Purdue's 6-6, six and six, man. You know, they, they, got in, they got into the bowls by beating Indiana by 7 uh, to get to 6-6. Six and six. So I will take Auburn in this, uh, not with great conviction, don't love either team, but 
I just think line of scrimmage, they're going to have a little bit of an advantage. All right. I'll root uh, for chaos. <laughs> that's fine. Chaos is good. We're, we're, we are by no means opposed to chaos. <laughs> uh, Camping World Bowl, Orlando, 5.15 p.m. December 28th, West Virginia, Syracuse. Would have been a nice game in the Big East, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, instead, this is ACC against Big 12. West Virginia favored by 1.5. Will Greer is not playing. Can West Virginia cover with a backup quarterback? I don't think so. I, I like Syracuse in this game. Syracuse had a nice little season after basically 20 years of really bad football minus like a blip under Doug Marone. And uh, I, I really think, you know, Dino Babers was quoted at a signing day thing today saying like we're we're two fourth quarter stops away from having like a really, really good season. And I feel like defensively is where Syracuse has really come along. And uh, I think the program's in really good shape. And I feel like West Virginia, without Greer, that's that's a huge loss and a huge setback. Syracuse is going to have Dungy sort of, you know, trying to trying to win one in his, in his last thing. And, you know, Syracuse really wants to be here, right? Like, this is, this is a program on the ascent, and this is like a mile marker. West Virginia faded down the stretch and probably feels like they should be something better. We haven't talked a ton about this, but, like, Give a hoot, I guess we could say, is a huge factor in bowl games. So I'm going to take Syracuse on the give a hoot. Uh, I agree 100% that Syracuse is super excited to be there. These guys haven't played in a bowl game. West Virginia's ticked they're in this bowl. They lost, you know, they they were in the playoff discussion. They lose to Oklahoma State, then they lose to Oklahoma, and now it's like, okay, we got to do what? We got to go play in this bowl game. Uh, Didn't and, West Virginia's best offensive lineman, who was like the Big 12 lineman of the year, declare himself out for the game? Yeah, so, I mean, I think every sign indicates that they don't really want to be there, and yeah. Syracuse uh, will want to be there, so I'm with you. I'm, I think this is a, a big-time Syracuse opportunity to not just win, but but win pretty handily. Okay, uh, the Valero Alamo Bowl that night, December 28th, 9 p.m., a good nightcap game mm-hmm. here. Uh, clash of styles, Matt Campbell, good defensive coach. Mike Leach, good offensive coach. Uh, Washington State favored by three and a half. Pete, what do you think? You know, I'm going to take Iowa State in this game. And uh, I feel like Iowa State has been like perfectly solid all season. And I feel like Washington State's 10 and two has been fueled in parts by the fact that the competition in the Pac-12 has been so awful. So uh, Iowa State, obviously, when they when they made the quarterback change to the freshman midway through the year, found a bit of an identity. I don't think Washington State's scheme is going to be that novel to Iowa State because every other team in the Big Twelve pretty much plays that way. So I uh, I feel like uh, I feel like Iowa State can uh, can go and, and and win handily here. Yeah, I'm, well, I I'm picking Washington State. I, I I don't dispute your reasoning really at all, but you know, and kind of digging into this a little bit, here was the trend I noted. Oh, Iowa State got loose and sloppy at the end of the season; wasn't playing as well. Brock Purdy gave him something for a while. But at the end, they weren't as good. Uh, they were minus seven turnover margin the last three games. Same stretch, Washington State was plus seven. So team that takes care of the ball usually wins. I'm going with Washington State. Gardner Minshew, the stash, has one more big day. All right. Then uh, on December 29th, which is when the, really the, the big bowl games start, but and we're going to get to those in the next podcast when we cover the New Year's Six and especially the playoff. But we've got a few more other bowl games to get through here. Uh, including the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, South Carolina, Virginia, uh, noon on December 29th. 
Uh, we have got uh, Will Muschamp and Bronco Mendenhall, both in their third years. Who gets to say, hey, my rebuilding process is better than your rebuilding process? South Carolina favored by four. Pete, your thoughts? Sorry, I nodded off when you uh, when you said whose rebuilding process is better. Um, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna you. answer. I'm gonna take South Carolina, and I'm just gonna ask you if you've ever been to a Belk. I have not actually. That that's one I have not attended. No, I just meant an actual like the store. Oh, a Belk. Oh, yes, absolutely. Really? Yes, I've what been is to it? a Belk. It's a department store. You go, oh, really? you know, you buy like a button down and a pair of jeans. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's one in the. Uh, in the mall, the Galleria Mall in uh, in Birmingham, where they have the SEC Media Days. So, oh, okay. All yes, right. every every kid with Bama bangs goes in there to buy a vineyard uh, vines, vineyard vines shirt and khaki pants. All right, you know, cranberry colored khaki pants. Ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's it. I, I I'm just gonna take South Carolina. I just think they'll blow Virginia off the ball, and they're better. Yeah, I'm going with South Carolina as well. This game does bore me as well. Uh, there's just not that much compelling about it. And after seeing Virginia just destroy itself against Virginia Tech, they should never play football again. So uh, I, am, I am announcing the end of their program. All right. Same day, same afternoon, December 29th, Nova Home Loans, Arizona Bowl, Tucson. You want to talk about games you really don't need to watch? <laughs> Arkansas State versus Nevada. Arkansas State is favored by one and a half. If you have anything to say about this game, feel free. (laughs) Well, I feel like the cable gods are doing us a favor. They put it on CBS Sports Network, which means there's probably a good chance we won't watch it. Um, (laughs) I'm going to take Arkansas State in this game with uh, with with a little bit, little pinch of conviction. Um, They, uh, you know, they finished the the season reasonably well after uh, tripping a little bit early and. Is, do you really think Justice Hansen isn't going to go out with a win in his <laughs> in his final college game? If you think that he's only a junior, dude, he's only a junior. No way, that guy's been there seven years. I know, but he's still only a junior. He's a seventh year junior. Wow, I'm stunned. Well, forgive me. I clearly uh, I clearly slacked on my uh, on my Justice Hansen research, and it was never assume right the old journalism that's thing. Right. I just yeah, I right. just yeah. There's a lot. That's a lot of Justice Hansen because he was player of the league in the year in the year last year, right? Uh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's he is the most he's the hardest working player in college football. One thousand five hundred and forty eight runs or passes in three seasons. Yeah. The dude is constantly has the ball in his hands. So he's your Arkansas State, State Arkansas State quarterback. I guess we're we're both going Arkansas State here, right? By the way, I just googled the Arkansas State football bio. It says he's a redshirt senior. Really? I, that's that's what it says. I'm I'm on the okay. Red Wolves official site. Um, he also okay. was a JUCO, so I was even wrong. What? About, yeah, he went to Butler Community College. Justice Hansen. I, 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 I am completely perplexed now because he's Sun Belt Player of the Year in seventeen. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention Sun Belt sixteen, and it was at Butler the two years. Oh, he started at Oklahoma. That's right, he did start at Oklahoma. That's why he's such a familiar name because he committed to Oklahoma. Um, he's from Edmond. And, okay, uh, okay, okay, okay. The 11 right. people still listening are like, will you yeah. pick the games we care about? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're taking Arkansas State. Apologies for my error on uh, Justice Hansen. Moving on uh, to the Military Bowl on New Year's Eve at noon in Annapolis, Maryland. Who doesn't want to spend New Year's Eve in Annapolis, Maryland, baby? It's actually a good Cincinnati, little town. It's fine. It's cold, man. It's New Year's Eve. You, you want to go to a bowl game in, in Annapolis? I don't. 
I'll pass. This is actually a rare year where, like, I'll be home for New Year's. That, yeah, like, I know, never, right. That, yeah, that never the, because the playoff games are on the 29th. So yeah. uh, I don't even you, know what to do. <laughs> you can turn on the military bowl at noon on well, December 31st I, and I catch a little Luke Fickle against Justin Fuente, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech. Bearcats favored by five. If it's too early to start drinking at noon, it's not too early to start watching football. What do you got? Yeah, well, I don't think this will be a particularly pretty aesthetic game either, but I think Cincinnati's better than Virginia Tech. I don't think that this one's all that complicated. Like, Cincinnati's just going to line up and try to mash you, sort of Luke Luke Fickle, uh, Luke Fickle, Mike Denbrock style. And uh, Virginia Tech has just been really hard to watch this year. They really haven't got much momentum going. Their defense has been riddled with injuries and suspensions and such. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't see a lot of a lot of drama here in uh, in Annapolis. I think the Bearcats roll them. I agree. Bearcats win. Bearcats cover the five. Virginia Tech defense, the worst it's ever been under Bud Foster. So you start with that, and and I agree. Yes, this will be a, a ground-and-pound kind of game for Some uh, idiot for wrote after the Florida State game that Bud Foster should be in the Hall of Fame. Like, <laughs> all-time jinxing Bud Foster. And he probably should still be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Like he probably should, but boy, did you get his year off to a Hexburger start. Oh, sure. man. Man, the exclamation point jinx or something. (laughs) It was uh, significant, but, you know, hey, we can't get them all right. I know otherwise you're you're batting point nine, 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 and I'm batting point nine, nine, nine. So, you know, well, you that was opening week. You had the beginning of the end for Jim Harbaugh. So we were were out dueling our completely outlandish hot takes. So we were on fire. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. The Sun Bowl, that CBS staple. They keep televising. It's been around for 80 years, 80-plus. 80 uh, El Paso, Texas, lovely little town on the border. Stanford, Pittsburgh. There have been some Sun Bowls where it's like 18 degrees, you know, and ice, and, and some where it's like 65 and sunny. You never know. But Stanford, Pitt, 2 o'clock New Year's Eve. Stanford favored by 6.5. What do you think? You ever covered a Sun Bowl, Pat? Nope, haven't. I haven't either. I haven't either. Yeah. I went to El Paso once to write about Derek Character. This is much more interesting than oh my, my. my Sun Bowl breakdown. Remember Derek Character? Oh like oh, the legendary yeah. knucklehead um, of yeah. like Sonny Vaccaro-ish AAU New Jersey fame. Um, yeah. His handler married his aunt or like moved in with his aunt. It was like all time like crazy. But I'll, I'll never forget going to El Paso to do that story because I wrote it and I remember I had to rush to write it uh, before they played in the NCAA tournament and I'd watched UTEP practice. I was like, wow, they're good. So I picked them to beat Butler in the first round of the NCAA tournament that year, which proved a mistake Oops. because yeah. it was Butler's <laughs> first title team or uh, NCAA, yeah, NCAA team. So anyway, I'm going to take Sanford. They're a better version of Pitt. Uh, Pitt had a nice little run at the end of the year, but ugh, gross still. So go Cardinal. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I'll take uh, the Cardinal to win and cover. Bryce Love isn't playing, but it hardly matters. He barely played all year. He just was total non-factor. Very strange thing this season. Very bizarre. Uh, yeah. KJ Costello, good quarterback. Uh, Arcega Whiteside, very good receiver. They'll play pitch and catch, and they will lead the Cardinal to victory. Uh, the Red Box Bowl later on New Year's Eve in Santa Clara. The warm-up act for the championship game in Santa Clara. Michigan State, Oregon. Oregon favored by three. Where are you on this one, Pete? So I think the careful listeners to our podcast would know just how 
much we've hated watching Michigan State this year. I think I speak for myself, for you, for Dan, um, between their dueling. For all of America. Yeah. So the most interesting thing thing I can say about this game, other than I think Oregon rolls them, is that Mark D'Antonio, who has never had an interesting quote his whole career, may have had the best quote of signing day today. Someone asked him about signing an Australian punter. And he said, it's sort of like getting a mail-order bride. <laughs> <laughs> that will be more nice. entertaining than any moment of the Red Box Bowl. Oh, so thank you, yeah. Mark. <laughs> it was like the one time Belichick went on that Mona Lisa Vita thing out of Spygate. It was like he'd spent 30 years setting up that one speech. Like <laughs> Mark D'Antonio's like defiant deadpan is broken, and he makes a mail-order oh, yeah. bride joke, and America howls. <laughs> wow. And, of course, I mean – if anybody would love to have a mail-order bride punter, it's Mark D'Antonio, who loves punting more than anybody in America. So this is his dream girl right there. Yeah, When we get Wetzel back on the podcast, we can talk about like what we'd like to mail-order, but we'll save it because we're, we're late. In this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a win the Wetzel wheelhouse. We'll yes. save that for him. Uh, I'm with you to do on Oregon. Oregon wins. Oregon covers. Liberty Bowl. December 31st, 3.45 p.m. kickoff. What used to be a Big 8 matchup is no longer, of course. Missouri against Oklahoma State. Uh, Missouri favored by 7.5. Drew Locke's last game as a college player, and he is going to play in it. Lord knows what will be up Mike Gundy's sleeve or under his mullet. Uh, Missouri favored again by 7.5. Pete, what do you think? So I'm going to take Missouri. I think it's like a no-brainer. I think they run them. I think this game's lopsided. Missouri's finished the year strong by beating up on perfectly mediocre opponents like Oklahoma State. The important question on this Liberty Bowl is, will your son Mitchell have time to go out at night? With the uh, 345 Eastern tip, 245, like, I-, I, think he could, I think he could go scare up some trouble in Memphis that night, huh? Oh, I, there, there is no doubt he will be out on Beale Street or somewhere uh, at midnight, New Year's Eve, and just I, I don't want a phone call at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. <laughs> keep it, Pat, uh, keep yeah, it together. Pat Sun so. covers Missouri for the uh, rival site, so that is that is why I ask. So that's yes. that's a bigger priority than uh, you know Oklahoma State's third down defense. <laughs> I'm with you, uh, and I'm with you on the pick too. Missouri covers there, and then yes, hopefully, what Mitchell does is then adjourn to watch the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl <laughs> as opposed to tearing up downtown Memphis. Uh, this game's in San Diego, Northwestern against Utah, two hardworking, probably overachieving programs, well-coached, guys that have been there forever. Utah's favored by a big, fat seven. What do you think, Pete? You know, it's it's tricky because, like, Northwestern has been just so Jekyll and Hyde kind of uh, throughout this year. They, they flashed, and then they've disappeared. They've been kind of ugly the whole time while they've been doing it. They, there was a time when they couldn't run the ball. They've obviously discovered that a little bit with Bowser. I feel like Thorson's gotten better as the year has gone on. Utah has some staff tumult with their OC leaving for Sacramento State. Uh, I just think Utah is a better version of Northwestern and will be able to cold cock them. And Northwestern has played a lot of close games this year, so I think they could cover, but I don't think they will. I think Utah wins like 30-20. to 20. Yeah, I think Utah wins. It'll be relatively close, but it'll not be so close they don't cover the seven. I mean, Kyle Whittingham's 10-1 and one in bowl games. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And Utah over its last 15, I believe, is 14-1 and one in bowl games. So yeah. I'm not going against that mojo at all. Yeah. 
Speaking of Mojo, are you nervous? You've duplicated a lot of my picks, and I'm really bad at picking games as we've established this season. So, is there or, or at any point now? Or are you like a little bit like, hmm, maybe I've just you know? You, well, I was actually we were different on a lot of the early ones. So yes, I think we it's were. Kind there of, were three it's or four coming back row. to coming back to to you know more like fifty fifty here. I am. I mean, I anytime I'm in seeing things the way you are, I'm nervous. But I don't blame uh, you. We'll see what happens here next with the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. In Jacksonville, New Year's Eve night, NC State against Texas A&M. Gator Bowls, it seemed like it was always an afternoon game. But if you go way back, it was not. Yes. But since, since it got into the more of the New Year's wheelhouse. Anyway, uh, NC State, A&M. A&M favored by five. Cole Fisher not expected to get into any fights on the field <laughs> with anybody from the six, NC State staff. Uh, what do you think? I feel like this is one of the stone-cold locks of the bowl season. I think Texas A&M is going to run them by 30. I don't think NC State's going to move the ball. Eli Drinkwitz, their offensive coordinator, took the App State job. He's not going to be around, so you're going to have uh, some faction of uh, of the two new co-coordinators calling the game. Uh, Ryan Finley expected to play in this game. I feel like AM's defense, Mike Elko, they have the number two run defense in the country. And here's the thing NC State is the most empty nine and three team in the history of college football. They've beaten nobody at all. And AM at least has found themselves to be like stout defensively. And yeah, Kellenmont's fine. So I feel like I feel like this one could go off the wheels very quickly. Well, I hate to hear you say all that because it makes sense to me, but I picked NC State, so I, I guess I'm <laughs> going to stick with that. Uh, Doran's a good bowl coach. He's 4-1, and one, coming off consecutive blowouts of SEC and Pac-12 teams. So, you know, I do, do, I do hate the staff turnover because their offensive line coach is now in Louisville and their, uh, their, their offense coordinator is now a head coach, and so there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, I'm just going to say I need to call up their schedule because I just need to like how how did they get to nine wins? NC uh, State. Yeah, I mean it's just like it, it is the most preposterous nine and three that I've ever seen. It, like it's it's the emptiest I should say nine and three that I've that, that I've ever seen. All right, they barely beat BC beat, bowl team beat Virginia bowl team beat Marshall bowl team. That's about it. Yeah. 41-7 from Clemson. Like, again, comparing scores well, is dangerous, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, A&M played Clemson pretty much even Steven, right? From a thousand there. years ago when it was in Kyle Field. Yes, but you got to remember this team gave up 51 to Syracuse. They gave up 28 to Florida State, who stinks. Um, they gacked it up against Wake Forest. Uh, yeah, and they barely beat North Carolina. Um, yeah, I just – I yeah. I I look forward to uh, taunting you at our uh, at our live taping over you you having faith in the emptiest wolf, dude. By the time of the live taping, I'm going to be so far ahead of you. There's a, the, you're <laughs> not, not going to be remembering <laughs> the Gator Bowl. So you you go ahead and circle that one if you want. I'm circling the 15 that I'm going to win here. <laughs> All right, the Outback Bowl, Tampa, New Year's Day, noon, hangover game. Get up, get ready. Mississippi State, Iowa, another SEC Big Ten battle. Mississippi State favored by six and a half. We'll see whether Kirk Ferentz's face is healed up after. Remember, he got his face bloodied in the celebration when they oh, beat yeah. Nebraska. Like cut lip, cut nose, cut cheek. Uh, anyway, uh, a 
Looks like a defensive-minded game, Pete. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, if the under is double digits, bet the under, because uh, these yeah. are two teams that, you know, kind of developed similar identities. Great defensive line. Like, if you like defensive line play, this game's for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, if you need a nap and you're hungover, this game will, like, be the perfect background noise, because you won't, mm-hmm. the, the announcer's voices won't hit a pitch, and you won't be disturbed at all during the, <laughs> uh, during the day. Uh, I'm going to take Iowa here. Uh, I feel like Mississippi State's underachieved a little bit this season. I don't know whether their frontline defensive players, uh, Simmons and Sweat, are going to play in the game. Um, I haven't seen anything whether that's been determined yet or not. But I feel like this is a game that means a lot more to Iowa than it does to Mississippi State, and they're going to show, show well, and win like, you know, 17 to 10. Boy, you know what I picked? 17 to 10, but for Mississippi State. That was my pick in the dash, so – uh, top 10, yeah, two top 10 defenses. I think Nick Fitzgerald's better than what I was going to put on the field at quarterback, even though he doesn't throw it very well. He's at least dynamic. Uh, Noah Fant is not playing in the game, the tight end for Iowa. He's one of those guys that's, you know, heading sure. to the draft. Great so, player. yeah, and I just, I don't have great conviction in this game, but uh, I'm going to take Mississippi State by the same score you like, just the other team wins. All right, Peter, and our, our last game here, I believe. Yeah, this is this is it. Uh, already for the listeners, it's just flown by. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the Citrus Bowl, Kentucky, Penn State, in Orlando. Um, I covered an Outback Bowl exactly 20 years ago between Kentucky and Penn State on New Year's Day '99, uh, when Tim Couch was getting chased around by Courtney Brown, and the defensive coordinator was. Jerry Sandusky. Uh, Yeah. How about that? In this one, Penn State is favored by six and a half. Uh, Your thoughts, please. Well, speaking of empty nine-win teams, you haven't really beaten anyone. Uh, Kentucky, I guess they beat Florida, but they would would fall near to that category. Uh, Yes, I was was fooled by Kentucky at one point midseason, and you lectured me right out of that. So (laughs) even though Penn State – has been, I think, disappointing this year, you know, considering the opportunities that were on the table. Uh, I feel like old, old James will have them, uh, I'll have them ready. And uh, yeah, I just can't see Kentucky scoring their quarterback can't throw the ball. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you're looking for motivation, I do think that you're going to have a motivated trace McSorley going out, you know, like some of the other senior quarterbacks that we've talked about uh, Anyway, but no, I'm, I'm going to take uh, Penn State there. Kentucky didn't finish the season well other than beating the heck out of Louisville, but everybody beat the heck out of Louisville. Uh, offensively challenged team. Uh, McSorley goes out on a high note. Penn State goes out on a high note. And that is that for the uh, for the bowl pod. For the Other than our final part, which will be coming up, soon on the uh the podcast where we pick the pick the new year's six games and the playoff game and uh, playoff games and we do want to uh apprise you of again our live edition of the iowa sports college podcast coming from the site of the national championship in the bay area uh national championship weekend we're going to be in downtown san jose at uproar brewing company on friday january the 4th at eight o'clock local time Show is free to attend. We'd love to have you out there. You can heckle us. You can bring us tribute, whatever the heck you want to do. We will have prizes and giveaways for you. There will be beer specials. There will be custom brews made for both playoff teams that are competing for the championship. You can get those yourselves. 
And you can listen to us yak, Pete and myself and Dan Wetzel. And then we're going to have a listener Q&A after the podcast. So uh, space for the event is limited. So we would like to have you, but you need to probably reserve your spot now. Go to yahoosports.com backslash college podcast. That's yahoosports.com backslash college podcast. And we will be back Friday with the New Year's 6 and playoff portion of the show. Thanks for checking us out. We'll talk to you then.